0: takes open this alabaster jar, she pours out her life, and what does Jesus do with it? We're still talking about it today. See, we're still being inspired by it today. They thought it was such a waste, it meant the world to everybody. Jesus made it matter. There's somebody in this room that needs to hear that today. There's some pastor out there who needs to hear it today. Some pastor who's in some country church. He marries them, he buries them, he shows up on Sunday morning, he faithfully preaches the gospel, and it matters. There's a mom who faithfully takes the little paws of her one-year-old and teaches that child to pray to Jesus, and it matters. There's a a dad who texts his adult children, John 1, on Christmas Day, because he wants his kids to know Jesus, and it matters. The following is a sermon from Peace Lutheran, a church located in downtown Aiken, South Carolina. For more information and for more content, Go to peaceinakin.com. Please stand out. Respect for the words and the works of Jesus today. We are starting our Lenten walk through the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be picking up the traditional uh, passion story in the Gospel of Mark. And we're starting at the beginning here in Mark chapter 14. This is what Mark writes to us. Now, the Passover... And the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. This is the gospel of our Lord. Please be seated. This wasn't a normal dinner party. There was death on the front end of it and there was death on the back end of it. On the front end of it, there were the teachers of the law and the chief priests who were scheming and and plotting and, and planning to arrest and kill Jesus. We even get to become, through Mark's story, A fly on the wall in those smoke-filled back rooms. We get a quote of what they were saying. Let's arrest him. Let's kill him. But not during the feast. The people might riot. And you get this insight that this was a cold killing. Not a hot one. Which helps us understand that this came from a particularly deep place of wickedness. This wasn't going to be a crime of passion. This was a crime that was calculated even to the point of them thinking about the political consequences of taking out Jesus. So there was death on the front end. And there was death on the back end. This woman she pours out the perfume and Judas is so upset about it that he goes and he pushes all the dominoes over faster. He goes to those chief priests and the teachers of the law and he says I'll betray him and they go yee-haw, game on. Because now they found a way to take him out quietly. So there's death on the front end of this dinner party and there's death on the, on the back end of the dinner party and there's death raining down all around this dinner party and so inside the dinner party, nobody probably knew what to say. What do you say? You can just imagine the hard silences in the room. You can just imagine how philip who normally liked to tell jokes didn't tell any jokes you can imagine how bartholomew who probably loved to tell stories didn't tell any stories they were all there silent and then in burst this woman one commentator points out that it seems like it's a little bit of a surprise there's no knock at the door there's no, hi, welcome, why don't you come on in? She bursts in. And when she bursts in, all of the hard silences fall to the ground. All of the decorum, all of this, we don't know what to say, but that Jesus is going to be arrested and die. All of it just crashes to the ground. And this woman come in, comes in and she does all the talking without even talking. She speaks entirely through her words. She's got an alabaster jar. Must have been beautifully carved with a long lithe neck. Alabaster is a it's a beautiful stone. It's a soft stone that has beautiful marbles through it, creamy, translucent material. In the ancient world they'd use it to carve it into beautiful decorative items that held expensive things it was that beautiful they spot this alabaster jar that she's carrying they must have known what it was right away had to be perfume if it was after all a dinner party And you had to be prepared for dinner parties. I mean, everybody back then stank to high heaven. I mean, the human BO back then was terrible. They didn't have cars. They walked. It was the Middle East. It was hot. And what did they have back then? Do you think they had showers? No, they didn't have showers. They didn't wash away human stink back then. Back then, what they did with human stink is they covered it with more stink. So they'd use perfume. When you got to a dinner party, they dab a little bit of smell behind your ears or anoint your head so that you could actually stand being in each other's company. But this was different. Because this was a particularly expensive, see, perfume. And this woman, she didn't take it and, you know, dab a little bit behind the ears or something like that, no. No. She broke it. She poured the whole thing out on Jesus. It wouldn't be enough to say that the room was shocked. No, they weren't shocked. They were angry. Livid, actually. Mark says that they were indignant. They were so indignant that Mark says that they rebuked her harshly, which is the Bible's way of saying that they lit her up. They verbally lashed the woman. Now, if we're going to do this story justice, and we do need to do this story some justice, we need to take this story in the way that Mark tells it. Mark doesn't record for us any words from this woman. What he records is the response of the onlookers. Because Mark wants us to identify with the onlookers. He wants us to understand and make a judgment like they did. He wants to draw us out a little bit. So what do you think? You've seen this kind of, kind of thing before, haven't you? It's the Fourth of July. 2009. Uncle Marv goes out, and he buys $50,000 worth of fireworks. 15 minutes later, they've all been lit up, and it's over. And you lean over to your wife, and you say, well, I hope he enjoyed it. What a waste. We've done this kind of thing before. We've made these kind of judgments before. These pragmatic judgments. What I could have done with that money. Come on. What a waste. You know, it's the kind of thing that you want to do when you, when you go to an expensive restaurant and you see that, that couple over there at the other table, they ordered a $40,000 bottle of wine. And you want to walk up to them and you want to say, you selfish snobs. you going to do that right now? you going to do that when one mile away there are people who don't have a place to sleep? How selfish. What I can do with that money? See, it's the same thing. We even have words for this in our vocabulary. We call it conspicuous consumption. It's the same thing. This woman, she goes up to Jesus. She breaks the jar, $50,000 worth of perfume that goes up into the Palestinian hot night in 10 minutes flat. Well, that was nice, they said. Smells heavenly, for 10 minutes, and then it's done. What a waste. And they lashed her. But see, there was one person who hadn't weighed in yet. And when he did, this is what he said. He said, leave her alone. He said, she's done a beautiful thing. He said, you know what she's done? She's taken perfume and she's anointed my body to prepare it for my burial. And then he makes this comment. She did what she could. At first, that comment, it must have hung in the air with a question mark. What did he mean? She did what she could. What's that mean? And then it must have hung in the air as an accusation. She did what she could. But you didn't. She did what she could, but you lashed her for it. She did what she could, and you sat there and you did nothing. Makes you think about so much, that little line. She did what she could. It makes you ask yourself this question Am I? Let me get it like this. I was involved in a conversation early last week. We were talking about Americans and what sociologists say about Americans. And what we said in the conversation was this, that sociologists say about Americans that most Americans don't know why. If you push them, they don't know why they do what they do. And in fact, if you do push them, if you do ask them why, it makes people upset. do what you do. What's your purpose? I'm not talking about superficial stuff. I go to work because I got to make money. I'm not talking about superficial stuff. I'm talking about the real why. Why are you alive? Honestly, what in the world are you doing here? What is your purpose? And why are you doing what you do while you are here on planet Earth? That's the question that this story gets at. Because there are two sides to that that question. Why? There and both kinds of people, on both sides of that question, you will find them gathered around Jesus. Some of the people are gonna look at it and they're gonna look at this woman, and this is what they're gonna say: they're gonna say, What a waste! $50,000 bursts up into into thin air. What's the point? What are you doing? They've got their why. Why are they doing what they're doing? All they do their entire lives is this. They just want to help people die a little more slowly. Slowly. Help the poor. Do this. Do that. Help the world die a little more slowly. And even if they don't realize that's what they're doing, that's what they're doing. Why are Americans saving so much? Why are they trying to have so much stuff? Why do they do strategic sharing? Because they're trying to die a little more slowly. And then you have the people on the other side of the question. There's only one lady in the room who is apparently besides Jesus. She bursts into the room. She is suddenly free. She exuberantly and extravagantly is alive. <laughs> she knew her why. She was doing what she was doing in her life for Jesus. I want to show this to you. If you do a little bit of Bible sleuthing, you find out that this woman, whom Mark doesn't name, is Mary. This is the same Mary who sat at the feet of Jesus while Martha was bustling in the kitchen. What was she doing? She was listening to Jesus. This is the exact same Mary who, when her brother Lazarus died, gets treated so differently than Martha When Jesus comes to Martha in her grief, he has to teach her. He has to help her understand because she hadn't been listening. But but when Jesus comes to Mary in her grief, do you know what he does? He just cries with her. Why? Because she had been listening. This is the same Mary who probably had used her life savings when her brother Lazarus had died to buy this beautiful alabaster jar full of this spiked nard that she could come and dump on his dead body when it started to rot. The same Mary who never had a chance to do it. Because Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. This is that Mary, the same Mary who bursts into the room, who does what she can and anoints Jesus before he even dies. Do you know why she did that? Because she had been listening. See. She knew that Jesus had said that I'm going to be killed. And on the third day, I'm going to rise to life. See, she knew that the body wasn't going to be in their possession. She wasn't going to have a chance to anoint Jesus' body, especially because his body was going to raise from the dead in three days. Why did she anoint Jesus before he even died? Because this was her moment, and it was her only moment, in fact, to be able to do so. She was anointing Jesus not because she knew that he was going to die, but because she also knew that he was going to rise. So she did what she could. She broke her jar and she poured it out for Jesus. Now, the first thing you need to know as you think about what this means for your life is that you need to not make this application. The temptation as Christians is to listen to this story and to say, here's what it teaches. It teaches that what us Christians should do is we should do something ridiculous for Jesus. We should give away $50,000. We should do something unreasonable. We should do something that will give us a legacy, a memorial, because that's what this woman gets. She gets a memorial from Jesus. She's going to be known forever for this. And if you think that, I'm making a caricature of what people think. I want to tell you this I I heard a sermon not all that long ago where a pastor came out and said this. He introduced his sermon. He said, Look, I want to have a legacy. I think Christians should want to have a legacy. Even started out with an illustration. He he came out and he said, You know, in the first service, I lit money on fire because I wanted to show as an illustration of what this lady did. She just made it go up in smoke. Don't you Christians want to have a legacy? See, be a really good Christian. Do something ridiculous. Give $50,000 to the church or something like that. That's a wrong application. I want to tell you why. First, that's selfish. Do you really think that this woman was outside the room thinking to herself, I want to have a legacy. I want to be remembered forever for what I do next. No, that's selfish. Secondly, do you realize that just feeds the culture of death? There are two ways that you can live for yourself. The first is that while you're alive, you use your life and your resources for yourself to make yourself comfortable. The second is that you use your life and your resources now so that you are remembered well when you're dead. Either way, you are doing it for yourself, and you are doing it because you are dying. That's not what this woman did. Do you know what she was looking at when she went into that room? She was looking at Jesus. Do you know what she was thinking about when she went into that room? She was thinking about Jesus. Do you know why she was able to use such expensive perfume? Because she realized that Jesus had bought her with his entire life. Do you realize why she was willing to give away that perfume? Because Jesus was making her beautiful before the Father. Do you understand why she was able to break open the jar of that that beautiful alabaster jar because she believed that because of Jesus, she ultimately wouldn't be broken. She was going to rise from the dead. See, this woman had her why. It was Jesus. Why could she spend on Jesus? Because Jesus was worth it to her. Why that beautiful perfume for Jesus? Because Jesus was beautiful to her. Why would she pour out her life and her resources for Jesus? Because Jesus had poured out his entire life for her. That's the application of this story. Do you you want to know what hit me like a lightning bolt earlier this week? It's this. Too often in our lives, we try not to waste our lives. When what we really should be doing is trying not to waste His. Do you realize what He's done for you? He came down into the stench of humanity. And he perfumed us. And in just a moment, we're going to watch him pour out his life for us. Some people caught in the culture of death are going to look at it, and this is what they're going to say. The man was here in the grand scheme of things, what? Like 10 minutes? And then he was executed on a cross? What a waste. We know better. He is the perfume for us that allows us to recline forever at the heavens, at the Father's feast. Turn your why upside down. Get dangerous. Why are you here? Why? Why are you here? What matters? What is going to be worth it? Why? Do you know what I think our lives are like? In many ways, they're like Jesus' life. We come into this world with the promise of death. On the back end of our lives, we got a Judas that's at some point going to come in and take our lives away in an untimely moment. Our lives are bookended by death. In the middle, we have a moment. We have our ten minutes. We have a moment when we can burst into the room with the perfume of our lives and we can break open the alabaster jar oh, I get it, some people are going to look at us and they're going to say, what a waste. Those Christians, what a waste. They're living like they're going to live forever. What they should be doing is they should be living, helping everybody die a little bit more slowly. But see, some are going to stop. And perhaps they're going to stop long enough to listen. And if they listen, they're going to hear Jesus defend us. Leave them alone, he'll say. They're doing something beautiful because they're living for me. I love that little line as I think about that for my own life, she did what she could. It's so liberating, isn't it? None of us are called to be heroes. None of us are called to be saviors. We have one for that. She did what she could. Some people, they tell me after I preach sermons, they say, Pastor, that was just for me. Today, I'm telling you, this one's just for me. She did what she could. That's what we're called to do. We do what we can. Sometimes, to me, it feels so wasteful. I was talking to my twin about this. He said, You know, the harder you try for Jesus, the more empty it feels sometimes. He's right. I try to help somebody with addiction, it seems like they go right back to it. I try to say words that's gonna change somebody's lives, somebody's life, they don't listen. I think to myself, what a waste. I'm spending my life doing this. And then I see this woman. She breaks open this alabaster jar, she pours out her life, and what does Jesus do with it? We're still talking about it today. See, we're still being inspired by it today. They thought it was such a waste, it meant the world to everybody. Jesus made it matter. There's somebody in this room that needs to hear that today. There's some pastor out there who needs to hear it today. Some pastor who's in some country church. He marries them, he buries them, he shows up on Sunday morning, he faithfully preaches the gospel, and it matters. There's a mom who faithfully takes the little pause of her one-year-old and teaches that child to pray to Jesus and it matters. There's a a dad who texts his adult children John 1 on Christmas Day because he wants his kids to know Jesus and it matters. There's a woman who comes in here and she doesn't have much but she's got a 20 so she, she throws a 20 in the plate every single week. It's all she's Got and it matters. There's a church here in Aiken. There's not that big, but what they've got is a big heart and a big truth and peace. It matters. See, it matters. Break open your alabaster jar. Do what you can for Jesus. It matters. This woman, she breaks open this bottle of perfume and Judas is so mad about it that it pushes him right out the door. And it ruined all of the plans, see? They had planned, we're not going to kill the guy during the feast, you know? Because then people are going to riot, they're all going to know about it. Well, Judas goes and he pushes all the cards over, so when does Jesus die? During the feast. And what is the result? The whole world, see? The whole world saw Jesus. Not his death, his redemption, his forgiveness, his salvation, his life. If Jesus can take one small act of one small woman and accomplish that, What can he do with your whole life? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. For being the perfume in the death of our humanity. For showing us that we do have eternal life. Help us be like Mary today and listen So that we may live lives for you. That we may break open our alabaster jar in hope. Jesus, in your great name I pray. Amen.